Broadcasting from the Socialist Republic of New York. New York. There's plenty of money in this country. It's just in the wrong hands. The Moss Show. Politics, current events, and just a bit of Judaism. Two guys that are always right. Except when their wives tell them they're wrong. You're listening to The Moss Show. Good evening, everybody. You're listening to The Moss Show with your host, Dr. Mistovsky and Chesky Moskowitz. How you doing, Chesky? I'm doing great today. What about you, Nachman? I'm doing very, very good this evening. So, um, at the end of last show, we got a little bit of a taste of, of something that um, really went on wildfire this week. You were able to see and listen to the entire clip from uh, the president? Yeah, very much. Let's play this clip for everybody. This is the president. The president gets asked a question about Ilhan Omar. We're going to be talking about that a little bit today. And then later on at the bottom of the hour, we are going to have on a lady who is the president and founder of an organization. Uh, It's a Christian organization that promotes Christian Zionism. Her name is Lori Cardoza-Moore, and she is the founder and president of Proclaiming Justice for, to the Nations, PJTN. You can follow them on Twitter, PJTN. They are Wonderful a organization. And she has been at the forefront. I know this sounds crazy because she's not Jewish, but she is at the forefront of fighting anti-Semitism, not only anti-Israel and anti-Zionism, but even just regular, ordinary anti-Semitism that is creeping into curriculum throughout the country. And right now in California, where she is doing an amazing job fighting this and bringing this to the attention of people, there is a massive, massive problem with anti-Semitism in the actual California curriculum. And a way a lot... It's not just in California, you should know. No, but California has, it, it, it's new, for, I think, for this year, and, and she had, so that was her big thing in the last like, week or two. But what people should mm-hmm. know about curriculum, and, and we'll get into this with her, is the three major states that really, the four major states that control curriculum in the entire country is really New York, Florida, Texas, and California, because when publishers publish books, they go for the biggest ones first. So since those states have some of the biggest public school systems, that tends to be where the public school system curriculums get, get written. Um, obviously, each state tweaks it for themselves. That's fascinating. I did not know that. Yes. It's actually mostly Texas, actually. But, I, but New York, California, and Florida as well have input. And even though Florida and Texas may be red states and New York and California may be blue states, the curriculum are still written by entrenched left-wing educational that's what happens when when liberals control the educational system because that conservatives are not interested in really doing that (laughs) let's first talk a little bit about this ilhan omar i'm going to play the clip now for those who have not heard it it's it's an amazing clip i'm going to play the whole clip you got to listen to the question and the answer and you have to remember the progressives take everything out of context so when the president said there were there were good people on both sides of the uh, of Charlottesville, and the actual the actual quote, which is what is amazing, um, what was amazing was they always say that he said that both there were both there was good people on both sides, and what's absolutely amazing, what's absolutely amazing is is that and a lot of people don't even know this. The president said 
excuse me, they didn't put themselves down as neo-Nazis, and you had some very bad people in that group, but you also had people that were very fine on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I, so the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of them. A very, very important statue in the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. And he actually goes and specifically says, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. And he repeats it again. I think he repeats it two or three times. So, so let's hear the president now in his own words about what he said about Jews and loyalty. Uh, on Israel, Congresswoman Ilan Omar yesterday said that the United States should rethink its policy of aid toward Israel after she and Congresswoman Tlaib uh, were denied entry. Congresswoman Tlaib was later allowed to come in, but she decided not to. Should there be any change in U.S. aid to Israel? No. And you should see the horrible things that Tlaib has said about Israel. And AOC plus three, that's what I call it. AOC, just take AOC plus three. And you should see the things that the four of them have said about Israel over the last couple of years. I mean, Omar is a disaster for Jewish people. I can't imagine if she has any Jewish people in her district that they could possibly vote for. But what Omar has said, what Talib has said, and then yesterday I noticed for the first time, Talib with the tears. All of a sudden, she starts with tears, tears, and I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a second because I've seen her in a very vicious mood at campaign rallies, my campaign rallies, before she was a congresswoman. I said, who is that? And I saw a woman that was violent and vicious and out of control, and all of a sudden I see this person who's crying because she can't see a grandmother. She could see a grandmother. They gave her permission to see a grandmother, but she grandstanded and she didn't want to do it. So that's a decision of Israel. That's not a, a lot of people are saying that was my decision. That's a decision of, of Israel. They can let them in if they want, but I don't think they want to. When you read the things that they've said about Israel, how bad, and if you look at their itinerary before they found out, you take a look at their itinerary, that was all going to be a propaganda tour against Israel. So I don't blame Israel for doing what they did. I have nothing to do with it, but I don't blame them for doing what they did. I think it would have been very bad to let them in, including the four. I'm talking about all four, but these two that wanted to get in, Omar and Tlaib. And I think it would be a very bad thing for Israel, but Israel has to do what they want to do. But I would not cut off aid to Israel. And I can't even believe that we're having this conversation. Five years ago, the concept of even talking about this, even three years ago, of cutting off aid to Israel because of two people that hate Israel and hate Jewish people. I can't believe we're even having this conversation. Where has the Democratic Party gone? Where have they gone where they're defending these two people over the state of Israel? And I think any Jewish people that vote for a Democrat, uh, I think it shows either a total lack of knowledge or great disloyalty. So there you have it. So what did he say? What he said was, if you vote for a Democrat and you are Jewish, you either show a lack of knowledge or you don't have loyalty. Now he goes on to explain that in other places. He says it two different ways and two, different, two more times. 
He says loyalty to the Jewish people, loyalty to Israel, and he repeats that again another time in one of his sessions outside. But he clearly says in the first question when he's asked, because the other times when he, he was being asked about specifically about the loyalty issue, the first time he talks about loyalty being something that the Jews have to have, if you think, oh, well, it's the anti-Semitic trope, the anti-Semitic caner of Jews and dual loyalty. First of all, he's talking about loyalty to the Jewish people and loyalty to Israel. He's not saying that Jews don't have loyalty to America for voting for Democrats. That's not... No, that's and, like, can we, and can we analyze that for a moment? First of all, I, I never understood anyways the whole dual loyalty issue. I understand when anti-Semites say it and what they mean, and when they say it, it's anti-Semitic. I just don't think there's actually an issue with having dual loyalties. Like, I heard someone say, and I on top of that, to my mother and my father, do I have a dual loyalty to my parents? Like, you can have a loyalty to your country and to a country that is religiously significant to you, just like Catholics. And, let, and let's take it a step further, Nachman, at least from my opinion. But let, let, let's call it as it is. We were, for the last 2,000 years, in a brutal diaspora where Jews who were loyal to certain countries, like the Jews of France, for example, who were extremely loyal, one day had a rude awaken awakening with the Dreyfus Affair that basically educated them very quickly that all their loyalty was for nothing and they were being accused of being disloyal to the French monarchy, or it was at the time. Correct. And, and it was a French, yeah. And then you had, let's not forget also, the fact that all the German and Austrian Jews that were supposedly good German and Austrian citizens, in overnight, they had their citizens yanked, stripped. They had their businesses yanked from under them. So this is not like the Jewish people have not seen this before. So we always, ever since the creation of Israel, for a very large segment of, of Jews, Israel is always that place Insurance where, policy. It's an, it, it, you want to call it an insurance policy, yes. I mean, I think it's more for religious Jews at the practicing Jews. I think for religious Jews it is for sure. Yeah, and I think that even not religious Jews who are Zionistic, they look at it, as, and those who support it, I look at it as the homeland of the Jewish people, the historic homeland of the Jewish people. They want a strong state for the Jewish people. Yeah, for whatever reason it is, they cannot live presently in, the, in Israel, but they still, every Jew who, no matter who they are, who has yearning for Zion from a religious or non-religious perspective yearns to one day end up in Israel. There's a reason why even non-religious Jews get buried in Israel because they want their resting place to be in their historic homeland. And therefore, yeah, whether we like it or not, it's, it might make some people feel uncomfortable. Jews, to a large extent, are very loyal to Israel because they know that at the end of the day, if anything ends up happening and we have a, let's put it this way, we have a Rashida President Elon Omar or President Rashida Talib. I mean, it's not going to be President Elon Omar, but it would be President Rashida Talib, And she decides that the Jews are disloyal and starts making Jews a second-class citizen through her propaganda. Then, yeah, what do you think will happen? The state of Israel will send in their commandos, and they'll be extraditing them out to Israel, just like they did for every other Jewish population with over the last 70 years, since 1948, they needed to be extradited and brought safely to Israel. Right. And, 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 it's, and it's more than that. It's more than that. It's, it's, he specifically says, you're either ill-informed. So anyone that wants to turn around and say, well, I vote for the Democrats. Are you saying I'm disloyal? No, I'm saying you're ill-informed. Now, if you want to say that you're actually informed about this, then you yourself are saying that you, 
Now you could you could turn around and say, well, I'm informed, but the president is wrong about the information. That's also a valid argument. But to say that he said that the Democrats are disloyal only means that, and, and you're complaining about it, means that you are admi- you are admitting that you know, you agree that there are a bunch of anti-Semites, but you're voting Democrat anyways. And I'm sorry, if that's the case, I agree with the president wholeheartedly. You are disloyal to the Jewish people. And I'm not saying there's a purity test, but there, you know, for, 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 for politics, for if you're a Jew, there isn't. But there is a purity test if you're going to vote for people that condone anti-Semitism. The Democrat Party is a party that used to be with the Republican Party that Bibi Netanyahu said that there used to be a time when he was in America and he would have to fight with the Republican Party over Israel and that it was the Democrat Party that always came to Israel's aid. The Scoop Jackson Democrats. But now it has completely switched to more as as that united right that Reagan created. And I'm not saying that Reagan was the greatest friend for Israel. I mean, a lot of historians say that he was very tough with Israel. He hated Shamir's guts. He felt that Shamir was a terrorist. He didn't like dealing with him. And he did not get along with him well. He punished Israel a few times in his presidency. Yes, he was relatively good. And again, he had a Democrat Congress. So that may have also helped. Again, the Democrats were extremely pro-Israel back then. Not like today. And there has been a shift. And again, it's, I think, because as the conservative party became more, as the Republican party became more conservative and the old guard died out, the old Bush wasp version of Republicanism uh, of the Northeast. Who, by the way, were probably very anti-Israel due to the fact that they bought into those anti-Semitic Christian tropes that, was I, being sold was by the I, don't know, I don't think that was necessarily true. I think a lot of it was actually American pragmatism, and I think they saw the Middle East pragmatically. They saw the Arabs as oil, and these guys were oil. Right. The oil yeah, industry. for sure. They were all in plastics, oil, manufacturing, and they just saw oh, the yeah, Arabs for sure. as, as better partners. And I think, you know, someone once explained to me the difference between President Bush, the, the first, 41 and 43. And it was actually the religion of the wives, where you had um, a very, very Baptist, if I'm not mistaken, President George H.W. Bush, but an evangelical George W. Bush, and that was because of their wives. And those two, the, the, the Baptists are all into BDS. The American Baptist Church is a promoter of BDS, and the American Zionists that are Christian are evangelicals. So you do have a major difference. And I think as the evangelicals, like the guests that we were, go- that we were going to have on, uh, Lori, you do see where they fight anti-Semitism. I mean, Cheski, you, you saw it with your own eyes when we go to some of these events. And, and Christians stop us when they see us in our yarmulkes. It, it's actually a very, very... The first time it happened to me, I was floored. I mean, it happens so often now. Well, there for sure is a paradigm shift. Hold on. We're, we're a, a evangelical will see a Jew, and they will come over and bless, bless me, because, and they will specifically say, I am blessing you, a child of Jacob, because I want a blessing on my family. So there is a major shift. And I think as this shift went into the Republican Party, and because progressives... See, this is the problem progressives can never agree with the other side, okay? It's one of the rules of progressivism. So even though socialists, right, Marxists, Nazis, and fascists 
all believe in socialism, right? They all believe in socialism. They're not allowed to agree on how to get to the utopia. So since they can't agree on how to get the utopia, they go to war with each other because only their way is the right way. Whereas the old school liberals and conservatives were able to converse one with the other and you can have that conversation. Progressives can't have that conversation. It goes against everything that they believe because if they have a conversation with you, in some way in their perverted ideas of how the world should work, they're giving credence to what you have to say. It's why they're against hate speech. Well, well, you can't speak that way. Well, why not? Because, because you can't. Well, why not? doesn't make any sense because if you ask them, you know, well, what you're saying to me is hateful, you shouldn't be able to say, they go, oh, that's not true. Everyone agrees with us. So it's the fact that they can't allow any other speech is what makes progressivism so dangerous. And I think the fact that they were able to actually line out three or four times what the president said, bold-faced lies, these are on video. It's not even audio where you could say it's doctored. It's on video. The president specifically said, you're either ill-informed or you have a lack of loyalty to the Jewish people. I'm sorry, if you're going to vote for a party that can't condone anti-Semitism in a straight-up bill in Congress because they're going to insult an anti-Semite in their caucus, then I don't know why you're even voting, except that you just like killing babies. That's the only other reason I can come up with, because that's the entire platform of the Democrat Party. I don't understand why it's so crazy for the leader. Remember, he's, also, he's not just the president of the United States. He is the leader of the, of the Republican Party. And in every other country, the leader of the party tries to promote his party. And the fact that like, Obama didn't is insane. Of course he did. So, did. so did President Bush. So did President Clinton. So did President Bush. So did Reagan. So did Carter. And we can go back and back and back. And, and it goes all the way back. The only president that never promoted a party was George Washington because he wasn't in a party. He was a partyless leader. He was actually against parties. But the second president, John Adams, already had a party. The Democrats like to make believe that it's their party. It's not. It was the Democrat-Republican party. So both parties today can claim the original party. It's coming to the point where it has now gotten to, you know, where Democrat-led states are promoting flat-out anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism, anti-Judaism, anti-Christianity in their elementary, middle school, and high school curriculum. Yes, it's being done in colleges, but the college curriculums for a lot of times are written by the professors. These books are written by professors. It's how they become millionaires and billionaires. And if that doesn't work, they can always take over a college, bankrupt it, like Bernie Sanders' wife did, and leave all those students out in the lurch, and they can go and write their own curriculum. But here you have state-sponsored and state-paid-for. You have Jews in California right now, right now, right this moment, paying taxes to pay for textbooks that are promoting anti-Semitism in one of the largest states in the Union. And one of the only people fighting this that I've seen, including Jewish organizations, which should scare Jews, okay? So you want to talk about loyalty? Hey, Democrats. How about you call the state of California run by Democrats and you have a state completely controlled by Democrats who are putting blatant anti-Semitism to indoctrinate the students with ideas that would absolutely 
mind-boggle. I would say even a regular Democrat going along his day. I don't think all Democrats are anti-Semites. I think the Democrats in certain parts of Michigan are. I think Democrats in certain parts of, of the country are. Just like there are Republicans, I'm sure, that are also anti-Semites. But the Republican Party doesn't have a Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar problem. They don't have people that are in bed with the Muslim Brotherhood problem. And the whole idea of David Duke and the KKK, the KKK had to be a registered Democrat in order to be a member of the KKK. And every time they try to find Republicans that were possibly members of the KKK, there's no proof. It's just assumed. But there's actual proof of hundreds of Democrats, elected Democrats, from city councils all the way up to the Supreme Court to president that were members of the KKK. And David Duke was both a Democrat and a Republican. He, he would go back and forth in the parties because he just tried to get elected in any way he can. He would see, he would find a place to run, and he would run against the party that actually would win there, just to be able to be the guy who ran. So David Duke has no party. He's just a racist. So we have on now with us a great guest, a great friend of the show, a great friend, I mean, I, I want to say the Jewish people, but the truth of the matter is, she, she's a great friend of all patriots in the country because she wants children to be educated in a way that their parents probably want them to be educated, except that for most parents don't actually read their, their children's textbooks. And that's a problem. And she has an organization. It's called Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. It's a Christian Zionist organization. And we have her on the show, Lori Cordoza Moore. How are you doing? Good evening. I, I know where you are right Good now. Good evening. Good afternoon. Yes, it, it's a little confusing. She's out on the uh, left coast right now, hopefully, hopefully fighting some of that uh, good fight over there. So tell us a little bit first about Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. What type of organization is that? Absolutely. So the mission of our organization is to educate Christians about their biblical responsibility to stand with Israel and the Jewish people against the rise of global anti-Semitism. And we accomplish that goal by producing award-winning documentary films and television programs to reach a Christian audience so that Christians are not silent or silent when they see anti-Semitism on the rise. In fact, we started this organization back in 2005. We didn't have a problem with anti-Semitism like we do now. And how in, 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 in the United that, States, we didn't have a problem in the United States. In the United States. States. We've had it in Europe, yes, and around the world. But to witness what's happening in the U.S. is unprecedented, and it is for such a time as this that we have been, um, that we've, we've been established. And so we look at what's happening globally. We are, because our programs broadcast through 22 global media partners, these are Christian networks, and we're reaching over 2 billion viewers through this audience. And so as a result of our programming that goes global, we hear from Christians all over the world who contact us about the anti-Semitism they see in their communities and how can they get engaged, how can they help. And so wow. that in a nutshell is what we do. And the education piece is a very important piece of what we do. The problem with Christian, the history of Christian anti-Semitism, and this has been, this has been a pervasive problem for the last 2,000 years. And that problem this. is a result of Christians not being properly biblically educated about Israel and the Jewish people. And so that's why we produce the programming to counter the narrative 
to try to wake Christians up to realize this is on our watch. This is our time to stand up. And as a result, over the years, we have brought together a collaboration of Jews and Christians and other people of conscience who agree with our mission, with our message, and they want to help get engaged in fighting anti-Semitism too because they don't just stop with the Jewish community, as we all know. And, of course, today in our generation, we're witnessing the rise of Christian bigotry and Christian anti-Semitism as well. Yes, and you, you see that all over the Middle East now, where, where these countries that were predominantly Christian, you know, 1,300 years ago, all over the Middle East, mm-hmm. but now you're seeing places that, smaller areas, such as cities, or places that for, for many years Christians were able to survive, all of a sudden now with the rise of the Muslim Brotherhood and Iran's proxies mm-hmm. throughout the region, you're seeing these Christian communities, the Yazidi community, the Christian communities, and it's not just Catholics or evangelicals. Some of these sects are extremely small, and they're the only places on earth where these versions of Christianity are established and practiced. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. are small churches. Uh, a lot of them never really connected with the Roman Catholic Church. So, mm-hmm. all, you know, all Christian, most Christians today come from, you know, some of our listeners, the Jewish listeners may not understand how the rise and then split in Christianity. Most Christians today, especially in the United States, they come from Catholicism. Their branches branch off of Catholicism after the Reformation. Evangelicals, Baptists, uh, even the Mormon church. All these churches are post the Roman Catholic church. But in the Middle East, you actually had other churches of Christianity that never connected with Rome. They never saw yeah, Rome been... as, their, as their leadership of Christianity. They were, they were, they were churches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you have, in, like in Lebanon, you have Maronite Christians. Correct. In fact, well, I Maronite, just had a conversation. They were, in fact, I spoke with a gentleman who um, lives in the United States now, and we were talking about the persecution of the Maronite Christians, that there are many Maronite Christians, for example, who support Israel, who do not agree with their government. Um, we can look at what's happening in Bethlehem. We had Bethlehem I had I was in the absolutely twenty percent, or it used to have a twenty percent population of Christians, and now because oh, no, Christians, no, no. well, that's incorrect. It was eighty-four percent. Well, eighty-four percent of the Christians have fled Bethlehem, or Bethlehem, it, but they made up a large percent or a twenty percent population of all the Arab population within Bethlehem. They have been forced to leave right because well, of they're, the persecution. They're when they, right, so when, when they say that number, that the Christians were only 20%, and now they're, and now, and, and they're still, so the Arabs play a little bit of games. Bethlehem is, is an area that is a lot bigger than what the Christians consider to be Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. So, so there are some Arab villages all around Bethlehem that the Arabs, also, they, they were never more than 20%. There was a mm-hmm. time where, where about somewhere between 80 and 90% of the area around the Church of the Nativity was Christian. It's mm-hmm. not anymore. Right. right. Uh, Chesky and I broadcasted from Bethlehem, from the mall. There's a huge mall right across the street from the Church of the Nativity. We did not leave the bus, and we had to take our yarmulkes, our kippah. We could not put them on our heads while we were on the bus with tinted windows. 
This, our security told us we are not allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, Chesky was only allowed to go into Bethlehem with his American passport, not his Israeli passport. Mm-hmm. It's against the law. Remember, apartheid only happens mm-hmm. in PA authority, you know, in Palestinian <laughs> authority areas. It does not happen in Israel. That's uh, right. And, and we were, I, w- I personally would not leave the bus. Chesky and I did not leave the bus because it is too dangerous for people that mm-hmm. clearly look like Jews to mm-hmm. go into that area. Only Absolutely. the Christians went. And there was a tour guide there that looks a little bit Arabic and one person in the group that doesn't have a very Jewish look to him. So, you know, in his dress. So he was able to go. But for the most part, we all stayed on the bus. The, mm-hmm. four, the four of us, there were four people on, stayed on the bus the entire time. Uh, we had to switch drivers. We had to go from an Israeli driver to an Arab driver. When Bethlehem was not in Palestinian authority, Jews were able to go to Bethlehem with their Christian, yep. with their Christian friends. Now they can't. Right. We want, that's right. You want to talk apartheid? Just like what you said. That's where apartheid is happening. It's in the Arab-controlled areas. And since 93, since Oslo, Christians have fled Bethlehem because they are being persecuted because they won't toe the line, the narrative of Mahmoud Abbas and Yasser Arafat before him. This is outrageous, and most Christians have no idea what's going on. We spoke with one pastor whose father, who's been a longtime pastor in Bethlehem, was shot at three times. They're congregants. When they go to services in churches in Bethlehem, they're stoned. And, of course, for them to come out and complain about this makes them target of the Palestinian Authority. People have to remember And I know your audience does, but when I speak to Christian audiences, I remind them that it is the Christians who are being persecuted. It is 80-plus percent of the Christians have fled Bethlehem because they won't toe the line. They are being persecuted, but you never hear that narrative. And we produced a documentary called Boycott This. It's on Amazon Prime. It's an award-winning film. We We did a segment in the film called The Tale of Two Cities. We focused on Bethlehem and Nazareth because those are two cities that Christians around the world can relate to. And, of course, we talked about how 80-plus percent of the Christians have fled since Oslo, fled Bethlehem. But in Nazareth, a city that is governed by the Israelis, you have Jews, Muslims, and Christians all living together. And they are able to worship freely. They're able to go to work and their kids go to school. They are able to receive health care. They're not denied anything because the Israeli government ensures their freedom. Not so in Bethlehem. And then you've got the groups like the Christ at the Checkpoint and these false preachers or teachers who call themselves Christians and they are not. They do not follow the Bible. Not only that, but a lot of those churches, we've seen a lot of them when we go to Israel, they actually get their provided money by Iran and the Muslim Brotherhood. It's actually one of the few times where you see the Muslim Brotherhood and Iran supporting the same organizations. It's, it's just very strange. People don't know the Muslim Brotherhood and Iran are actually different forms of Islam, uh, mm-hmm. Sunni and Shiite. Mm-hmm. So you have some of these times where, you know, we have it also in the Jewish community with, with Naturi Karta. These are Jews that are against Zionism. I'm sure you've seen them. They're a bunch of yeah. lunatics. There's like 25 of them. The same 25 show up all the time. And... They are controlled by a guy whose family is very wealthy, so none of them have to work. He just pays them, and they show up in protest. And they also get a lot of funding from Muslim Brotherhood and Iran. And that's what they're, they're what the Russians used to call useful idiots. 
Oh, mm. You know, every religion has its useful idiots. Yes, we do. Yep. Same within and, Christianity. Yep. And, you know, Proclaiming Justice to the Nations is a great organization that tries to influence the Christian coalition when uh, Minister Hagee started the right-wing shift of, the, mm-hmm. of, of uniting the churches. That's what he did, you know, for Reagan when he united all the churches together under this banner of, besides the free market and anti-socialism and all the things that he believed that good Christians should be doing, people don't know, these same ministers were also the reason for the huge shift in America and the Republican Party and Christian, Christians becoming Christian Zionists. It was mm-hmm. the same three to four ministers. You had Minister Hagee and his group. You had... Pat Robertson. Uh, Pat, 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 uh, Pat Robertson. Pat, Pat Robertson. Mm-hmm. The, the, exactly. And the Christian Coalition, which would do uh, huge fundraisers for Israel. And you had uh, Minister Hagee, the Night for Israel, his huge fundraiser. And then he had in summer his three or four day confab of evangelicals. So you saw this and that led to the rise of the, you know, mega churches, yep. these mega churches throughout the country in Texas mm-hmm. and, and Oklahoma and all these Midwestern states in the South and, 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 and the upper, you know, the upper West where you mm-hmm. had these young evangelical ministers that were being taught by these older ministers like Hagee at, at Robertson. And you had this Zionistic, was it influx, I guess, into the conversation. Yeah. What happened was is that these pastors, and pastors like Pastor Jack Hayford out here in Los Angeles, these pastors started to teach their congregants that you cannot reject Israel and the Jewish people. There is a price to pay if you do. The problem with Christianity is you have so many different denominations, so many different sects, and because they're only focused on Christianity, they've come out of that whole replacement theology that God is done with Israel, God is done with the Jews, and now it's all about the church. Well, they, these pastors started to challenge that message. And that's why we started the organization, because we too saw that there was a disconnect from the Bible, from the Word of God with Christians. Christians, you know, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and then I went into the Protestant Church, and yes, I heard that Jews were the Christ killers. Yes, I heard in Protestant Christianity that God is done with the Jews. He's replaced them with the church. There is nothing in the text of the Bible from beginning to end to substantiate that claim. That is based on Christian doctrine and theology that is errant. It is inaccurate. It is unbiblical. And these pastors that continue to perpetuate these lies, like Stephen Anderson, like Rick Wiles, like even the Hobby Lobby family, Mark Green, one of the sons, produced a Bethlehem documentary, Little House of Little um, Town of Bethlehem documentary, promoting the same lie and the same narrative by supposed evangelical Christians. This is a growing problem in Christianity. We are challenging these pastors. We are challenging these Christians and, and asking them, if you believe this and you're teaching this because you're going to help, you're going to stand before Almighty God and you're going to have to give an account for what you're teaching these little ones, these innocent ones who don't know the truth because you're giving them lies and disinformation. Substantiate in the text of Bible how you can, you can support that position because I will show you some of the leaders like Hagee like Pat Robertson, like Jerry Falwell Sr., like Jack Hayford. These pastors stand on the solid 
foundation of the Bible. What does the Bible teach? And then you go to Bible Bethlehem College and you have professors who profess to be Christians teaching that they will not teach from the Old Testament because they say that the Old Testament is too Zionist. Really? Well, if we know our Bible, and this is why we reach, we reach out to Christians and tell them, you cannot base your opinion on Israel and the Jewish people on what is politically expedient. You must base your position on what the Bible says, because on that Bible that you're standing, on that word, you are going to have to stand before Almighty God one day, and you are going to have to give an account of what you did to the least of these, my brethren, and that's what Jesus said. Who was he talking about? He was talking about the Jews. They are well, his Muhammad Abbas says he was talking about brethren. Palestinians, but whatever. Yeah. He made that well, claim recently. That <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, of course. Now and we, we see Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib saying, touting the same message, that Jesus was a Palestinian. No, he wasn't. He was a Jew. He was also, you would have considered him an Orthodox Jew. He yes. would never have been teaching anything contrary to Torah. Never. What's, but what's unfortunately, most Christians is, don't use that. What's interesting is he's actually called two different titles. People that don't know this, I'm not sure if you're aware. I, Christians know him as the Good Samaritan. But okay. I think if you, I don't know if it's Josephus or, or some of the other um, historians of that era, say the Romans called him the Judean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. Because that he must was mean born he must be from Bethlehem. Judea. <laughs> right, but Bethlehem, for people that don't know the history Bethlehem was David's original, was one of the original capitals of Israel. Mm-hmm. It was Hebron, mm-hmm. what we call Beis Lechem. Yeah, you're making such a good point because Christians do not study their Bible from a Hebraic foundation. And that, therein lies the problem. If they study that Bible from a Greco-Roman perspective, they will not fully understand what you just said because there are so many different nuances within, Hebrew, within the Hebrew translation that Christians do not get. And that's what we're trying to get Christians to see. You've got to study that Bible from a Hebraic understanding. It was written by Hebrews, and it was written to a specific people. I always say that the Bible is a book written to Israel, for Israel, about Israel. We know throughout history, biblical history, that there were many Gentiles or proselytes who joined themselves to Israel. We know the story of Ruth, who decided to follow Israel's God. She became a convert. This is so, and Christians have to understand that they too have been grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, but they study their Bible, and this is where the problem comes in. They study their Bible from a Greek mentality. And if you study your Bible from that position and not from a Hebraic position, you will not understand the totality of the story that is being spoken here. It's almost as silly as trying to make believe that the liberty movement, and I don't mean that like what we say today, I'm talking about the, the liberty movement of the last you know, 900 mm-hmm. years that has been a Judeo-Christian valued system can just mm-hmm. spread like wildfire into parts of Asia, Africa, and the Middle East that don't have personal property as something that has been around for, you know, they don't have these ideas in their systems mm-hmm. of an ethos and we can just import it to them. It's a similar idea where you're reading the text out of context. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Well, you bring up a very good point, and it, and I know we were going to talk about education. Yes, education I want to get to is that. key. Education is key. So tell and us a little bit what's not, going on in California. Okay, so we all, many of us have been following what happened. The state of California last year passed a law that requires an ethnic studies program in, in order for students to graduate from high school in the state. So once so they is, put this that is law above, into effect, like, This is similar to, let's say, like a pluralism and diversity type course you might see in a high school or college? Um, yes, you would, but now they're making it mandatory in order to graduate. Now, California doesn't require that their students have passed with an A, B, C, or a D. If they get an F, they don't fail, but they do in order to graduate from public schools in California. You have to take this ethnic studies program, and, of course, they didn't have the details last year when they passed the law. They needed a platform. Then they brought all of these groups together, three of which of these members um, that, uh, that established this curriculum are about anti-Semites, and they drafted this curriculum. Well, word got out about what they were introducing. Who, who hired them? And who hired them? The governor? It, it would be the state, it, because the state passed a law to right, but who require an ethnic hired these study. Anti-Semites to write it? The state legislature, the Department it, of Education? It would be the Department of Education. It would be under their purview. It would be their responsibility to pull the – once the law is passed, then that department, Department of Education, is tasked with the responsibility of pulling together experts to put together an ethnic studies program for their students. That's who's responsible. And, yes, the governor ultimately is responsible because he appoints these people to do this job. And thank God that – there has been an outcry from across the country. It wasn't just California residents. It was people across the country who demanded accountability to this curriculum because whatever happens in California, we all know eventually blows east, and we all have to end up. And they know this when they put this together. But because of the outcry by the grassroots citizens, by the people um, condemning this curriculum and exposing it as fraudulent, and a bunch of propaganda, they had to pull the curriculum, and now they're going to reevaluate. We have requested uh, testifying in their hearings. We're waiting to hear back when they're going to have the hearings. We know that by September of of 2020, they have to have this curriculum in place. So we know they have from, from now until then to develop this. We are going to continue to, to watch this, to follow it, and request public hearings on it and also request being able to testify because this is the issue. This is not – California blew the, the lid off of what's happening across the country. And you know that we, we launched this campaign in 2012 when we first saw the evidence of the anti-Semitic content being Can introduced to examples? children. Do you have some examples with you? Absolutely. So one of the textbooks that we found in Tennessee, and this is what st- this is what launched the whole campaign. Um, one of the this examples in was a, this was in Tennessee, the belt buckle of the Bible Belt, in a county that is one of the top ten conservative, wealthiest Republican counties, evangelical Christians. We had a textbook, a human geography textbook, published by Pearson, and we're going to talk about Pearson in a minute. Oh, yeah. But basically, great. a parent found a quote in the textbook that legitimized Palestinians blowing themselves up in a Jerusalem restaurant 
because they were waging a war against Israeli government policies and army actions. And of course, as a result of this, we saw Wait, so this context. So they're, condone, they're, they're basically condoning terrorism? Yes, because this is the only, this is how they have to fight. They, they're coming up against this big giant Israel and, and they can't get their voice heard. So, so we have a published textbook that is promoting the Sparrow Pizzeria bombing, we all remember, and in the textbook, under the title of the chapter title, Why is Terrorism on the Rise?, we have this little example. Is there a picture of the carnage that was created from the Sparrow Pizzeria bombing in the book? No. If there would have been, our kids, using their critical thinking skills, would have said, whoa, that's bad. But no. They created a scenario. They also accuse in the same chapter that Israel is an occupier, which is inaccurate to state to our children. If we want to be politically correct, we could say it's disputed territories. But no, this textbook called it occupied territories. And of course, the majority of Americans and the kids in the schools are Christians. And unfortunately, this is the propaganda we found. So we exposed Pearson. So let's talk about who Pearson is. Because Pearson so wait, before is you talk about that, Lori, I just have one question. How, Absolutely. How, how, does such, how does such stuff make it into any textbook, let alone Pearson? Because parents and citizens are not paying attention to what their children are being taught. You have Pearson Publishers, which is not a U.S.-based textbook publishing company. This should make all of us very nervous. They are British-based. Their shareholders include the governments of Turkey, of Libya, of Saudi Arabia, and of Qatar. This is who publishes 80% of the textbooks being used in the United States. What another thing, another thing Americans don't know, that Pearson is buying up. The reason why they have 80% control of the curriculum, textbooks being used, because Pearson is buying up all the smaller textbook publishing companies. But do they, ch they change the title on the textbook to reflect that it's a Pearson-published textbook? Oh, no. They keep the old name so that nobody knows they have a monopoly on education. What does this go back to? It goes back to common core. What we're experiencing today is the globalization of education that came into the United Nations through Bill and Melinda Gates, who introduced the concept. They didn't call it common core. It was the concept of the globalization of education at the G8 or G6 summit in Moscow in 2006. I, I just just since say, 2006. Bill and Melinda Gates is the proof that not all millionaires and billionaires should give charity. It was much better when those two were misers and didn't give anything. Do you know that Bill Gates just came to Tennessee? We have a brand new conservative, supposedly Republican, Christian evangelical who is pro-Israel, who just accepted a $34 million check from Bill Gates to introduce Pearson's or testing for our children. He tried to convince us that Pearson, that we're only adopting their, tech or their testing. We're not going to adopt anything else. Well, you know something? Unfortunately, the governor, Bill Lee of Tennessee, doesn't realize that if you're going to give a child the test, then you better make sure that the curriculum being used is, is right going to enable that child to test out well. 
whether it's the curriculum, whether it's the textbook. And so we've just, Tennessee just bought itself back into the whole Common Core agenda. That's and amazing. This New, is what New York got out of Common Core. They just renamed it. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. It. Well, they say they're getting, that's right. They I say they're, they're leaving Common Core, but they're not. They're just changing the name and making parents think that it's been changed. The only state that is changing and removing Common Core is Governor Ron DeSantis in the state of Florida. Thank God for him. We went to him um, a, couple, a couple of years ago when the Phil Congressman showed him the evidence of the propaganda, and he promised us back then, if I run for governor and I win, I'm removing Common Core. And he is true to his word. We're working with the state of Florida. We've been mobilizing parents and citizens across the state, and the parents are outraged because we just found another. Here's another example. You asked for an example of the context. Well, here in, in the state of Florida, there was a student who had to, um, who was doing an assignment on how to understand the differences of, of narrative in their studies. And one of the assignments the teacher that day had given to their students was pulled out of a author who is a member of the PLO, and it, it's on inference. The assignment was on inference. The woman who wrote the book that is being used in Florida schools, teachers have access to, is a member of the PLO. She's married to a member of the PLO. And there was a book she wrote about how um, Palestinians, when they go through checkpoints, they don't say what checkpoints or who the checkpoints are governed by. They talk about going to a checkpoint and being shot. And when they go to the checkpoint, when they're asked, who are you or where are you from? You are not to say that you're Palestinian. You're supposed to say that you're Lebanese. Well, one Palestinian decided to, de to defy the rule, and he said, I'm a Palestinian. He was shot dead right there. This is examples that high school students are being given assignments to learn about inference. So now those kids, the following week, we're going to take a test on this subject matter, and they're going to have to fill in the blank. Who do you think the story was inferring? that these Palestinians were referring back to. Well, what are these kids going to say? They all know because they've already been indoctrinated in their public schools with Common Core. It's the Israelis. It's the Jews. And we wonder why anti-Semitism and, and this socialist agenda is going on in our public schools. It is because every day that our school doors open, our children are being subjected to this. And I don't care if you're in Florida, Tennessee, California, New York, Texas, Arizona, and every state in between. Every state that adopted Common Core is teaching the same garbage to our children. We yeah, wonder I mean, why anti-Semitism is on the rise on our, on our high school campuses, on K-12 campuses. It is because we are indoctrinating our children with the same type of hate that we saw years Even ago by Christians who promoted the whole um, replacement theology and blaming the Jews. And using the narrative that the Jews kill the Christian kids and they take their blood, that's still, that same narrative is still being communicated across this country and around the world. It's true. And it's that's, true. Why, that's why we have got to expose these people as liars and propagandists who are spreading lies and hatred through the propaganda, through our children's classrooms and in their curriculum. This is very serious. 
we're going to lose our constitutional republic if we do not take up this issue. And that's why we need your support in helping us by looking at your kids' textbooks. Every parent, every citizen, I don't care if you don't have kids in the school system, you pay taxes I, I, in the United States. Story. I'll tell you a personal story. I was helping my son. This was two or three years ago. He's going into seventh grade, and he was learning about citizenship, right? And mm-hmm. I'm going over these words with him, and it's a social studies book, and it says there this definition of a citizen, and I think, I think it was matching up the words. So he was left with two or three words, and one of the words there is citizen, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, there's no definition here for citizen. None of these definitions match up to the word citizen. He goes, well, I think it's this one. Can we look it up in the book? So I open up his textbook, and lo and behold, the definition of citizen in his, I think it was fifth grade, I'm pretty sure it was fifth grade textbook, social uh-huh. studies, says a person who lives in a community. I'm like, no, that's a neighbor. A citizen is a legal definition. It's like alien mm-hmm. and illegal alien is an actual term. These are legal definitions. A citizen is someone yep. who is legally recognized to live in an area. That's yep. a definition. You can look it up. I actually called, the cho- it was actually, it was interesting is, it was a Common Core book that was manufactured by a Common Core aligned book that was made by an Orthodox Jewish company. I did not know this at the time. I called him no. up. Uh, you got to hear this. He said, I'm sorry. Oh, the, no. only thing, the only things that we changed in here were things we looked for religiously, things that would be an issue religiously. We sort of, we sort of never overlooked the rest of it. Thank you so much. He actually called me back a few hours later and said, hey, here's my email address. Can you email me the proper definition that we should be using? And I'm putting it, so I'm going to put it into the second edition. So, oh my gosh! A lot of times, these uh, publishers, these publishers, they take the core that they're given, they publish that from Pearson, they change small pieces to make mm-hmm. it for the community that they're trying to, you know, they pay a licensing fee to Pearson, and mm-hmm. they don't, they don't go to see if the rest of the stuff is garbage too. Right. The key is, I've been is looking for my kids' books. And every time he has a test, I say, answer this on you. the test. But the proper mm-hmm. answer to this question is not this. That is, mm-hmm. in, my wife, it drives my wife nuts. He's in an, and I, I always tell him, I said, on the test, you have to get 100. That's your goal. Mm-hmm. You answer mm-hmm. what the school wants you to answer. But in life, you should know that that is an incorrect answer. Mm-hmm. If well, what we're finding those guys now. guys that are in law school, the, your job there is to become a lawyer. Do what right. your law professor says. Just know that he's wrong. Yeah, this is a huge problem. But what's happening is parents like yourself are starting to challenge the system. And that's what happened in Tennessee. We launched, when I found this quote in the textbook, I knew the citizens of that county would be outraged if they knew that their children were being used, uh, this propaganda was being used in their schools. And sure enough, we produced radio, 60-second radio spots, We ran the radio spots on local conservative radio where the low-hanging fruit would be paying attention and listening, and we told them, by the way, do you know what your children are learning? And we gave the example in the radio spot. Do you know that we were calling all the people to sign up at our website and attend the school board meeting that was coming up the following week, and do you know we packed the house standing room only? 
parents who were outraged that this propaganda was being used in their schools. When I testified during the opening part where they opened up for parents to have and citizens to talk, I said to them, and there were 12 members of the school board, six of them were up for re-election that year. And I said to them, if you do not remove this textbook from our schools, we're going to remove every one of you from office. Well, that, that year, six of them were up. They voted that night to keep the textbook. We went to work the next day. We found citizens who had no experience in education who decided to run to become part of We the People to run for school board. They won. Every six that were up were removed. We replaced them. We got the parents and citizens engaged. And within a couple of months, George Soros' team and the people that he funds and supports started moving into our community to challenge yeah, the that. parents. He's one of ours. I well, you know, we have the same problem within the Christian world, too. So, you know, <laughs> it's not like we're standing alone. We've got our own issues. But anyhow, yeah. but the point that I'm making is it's going to require, if we're going to take our nation back and we want to make sure that our children are adequately instructed so that they don't grow up to get sucked into this vacuum that's been created and to become anti-Semites and anti-Israel. If we're going to secure the U.S.-Israel relationship, we have got to be engaged in the battle. We cannot surrender this to a bunch of liberals who are sitting on our school boards. We should be showing up at our school board meetings. We should be holding these leaders accountable. We should be running for school offices and With the elections coming up, November 2020, we need to know who our local officials are. Do you know most of the people, if you ask them, who's your school board member that represents you, they don't know. If you ask them, who's your city alderman, they don't know. If you ask them, who's your county commissioner, they have no clue. And even the state legislature, who is your state representative? Who is your state senator? They have no idea. We cannot, if we want to save our country, We must unite. We have been given a blessing by Almighty God to live in the freest, what used to be the freest country in the world. And if we are going to ensure that that Judeo-Christian relationship, that Judeo-Christian history of the United States of America, to ensure that there's going to be a country who's going to stand with Israel, it's going to demand that we, the people, start getting involved and governing our affairs in our local community again. Lori, let me ask you a question. Do you believe, this is a theory that I had, and I shared this with Nachman before we got on the air. I believe that the reason why we're seeing an, an increase in self-hating Jews, turncoats, so to speak, who are promoting the pro-BDS narrative, the Jews who are running like Jewish Voice for Peace, if not now, Uri Litzadek, Trurab, and the Ark, can we see that it's, I mean, there's no evidence to this that is scientific, but can we perhaps say this can be attributed to the fact that the textbooks are radicalizing Jewish youth as well? I will tell you, if we use the general populace and include the Jewish, Jewish kids go to public that, school, a lot of them. Yes, yes, then we can use that analogy because it's not just the Jewish students, it's the Christian kids as well and the kids that are not affiliated, but the majority of kids sitting in the classroom every day are Christians. And when when these kids read, in fact, this one Jewish student who came home from this Orlando school with this example from the PLO author, and of course, 
this author um, is very well known. When this kid came home, this Jewish student, he was visibly shaken. He didn't know how to respond. And he said to his mother, he said, is this true? It causes doubt and unbelief in our children, whether it's Jewish or Christian. Is it affecting them? Yes, it's affecting them. And we cannot sit back and allow this garbage to be taught to our children and cause them to be afraid or ashamed. When I speak to Jewish audiences, I remind them, you have been given an important responsibility around the world, and that is to represent God, to represent Hashem to the world. And that even comes down to our local communities. We cannot be ashamed of truth. There is a reason why America and Israel are such great nations, because we do protect people's civil rights. And that there is nothing to be ashamed of there. And yes, we need to be reinforcing in our children when they go into public school, whether they're Jewish, whether they're Christian, we have to ground them securely in their faith to understand that that's what determines what we believe and how we live our lives. It is not this propaganda that is being funneled to our children. Right. I think that kids going to private schools probably also, this is one of the reasons, by the way, if we're not able to have any change in the near future, and especially in more liberal progressive districts where it's like just so hard to change things, I think the parents is exactly why we should be fighting for vouchers so that way we can have the ability to send our kids to... Our private school children are using the exact same textbooks. It's, that's the problem. And, you know, what I tell parents is you need to consider oh, that's homeschooling. that's a good point. And, and I homeschooled five children. And I will tell you it took a huge commitment on our part. But in Tennessee, when our kids were growing up, Tennessee usually ranked between 44th and 48th in the nation. We, the reason why we chose to homeschool was because we wanted to give our children a good, solid foundation so that they would be able to compete in a global marketplace. And it was the best decision that we made because for the elementary years, we homeschooled them to give them that foundation. And then we started introducing them into either the public school system or the private school system when they got into middle school. And let me tell you, our kids had the ability to think critically and were able to challenge the system in the public schools that they went into, and even in the private schools, because a couple of those private schools happened to be Christian schools. And let me tell you, my kids were prepared. They knew their Bible, and they would challenge some of the negative stereotypes about Israel and the Jewish people. So if we will do that, in fact, our rabbi, his wife, I helped her get started in homeschooling their children, our Chabad rabbi in Nashville. Because of what was being taught, I showed them the stuff that was being taught to the kids in the public school. So we should give our kids, if we can, most of us, a lot of us work from our homes now. We're being able to transition, and we ran our business out of our home. We have a film production company. My husband and I were hands-on with our kids. We ended up educating. I did part of the responsibility. He had the other part. But we adjusted our lives so that we could still work but we could also be involved in educating our children. And it doesn't take a lot of time to do it. It takes three to four hours a day with hands-on, and then you give them the assignments that they do for the rest of the day. It really is worth it because our kids are being bombarded with lies and with disinformation, and they come home afraid because they know they're the minority, 
and then they hear the jokes that their friends are making. And yes, we see a rise of anti-Semitism on our K through 12 campuses. And yes, it can be directly tied to the propaganda that is being fed to our children every day in the public school system. Donald Trump, our president, is trying to make America great again. His efforts are being undermined every day in this country that our public school doors are open. And even if he's successful, Pearson can undo all of this within 15 years because they're indoctrinating the children today. And what's amazing is even with Pearson's indoctrination, this is what's interesting, even with Pearson's indoctrination, the younger generation now, you know, our children's age, I don't don't know how old your children are, Lori, but our children are under the age of 13. I have a son who's going to be bar mitzvah shortly in the next few months. He's my oldest. Um, Congratulations. Is going to be the most conservative youth generation since they've been monitoring this. And it's been about, it's been about 70 or 80 years. So it's, it's been a mm-hmm. few generations where they know they can, they're able to look back. About 80, 80 to 100 years, they're able to look back and see where the culture was amongst you know, the youth. And they see that this generation coming up now, after the millennial generation, is going to be the most conservative because, first of all, they see the millennials as a bunch of wackadoos. And a lot of that stuff like the LGBTQ, it's just a non-issue anymore, kind of. It's almost counterintuitive for what the LGBTQ community wanted. They wanted to make everything more equal. What they ended up doing is making it a non-issue, in which Mm -hmm. case, well, why do I care what you do in your house? I care the fact that you're trying to take my money and make me pay for it. That I don't agree mm-hmm. with. So Absolutely. they're seeing this paradigm shift, but what they're also seeing, which is interesting in these same studies, is that the Christian Zionists, that youth, is not necessarily becoming anti-Semitic, but they're losing that spark of that love of Israel. And I know that Minister Hagee has made it a, a, a big part of his organization's next agenda to try to reverse a lot of that. I know that I think Pat Robertson's church also has some program because they, they're seeing those same numbers. And obviously we have your organization, which is actually, you know, you know, obviously these Christian organizations are doing a great job, but they're doing it through the church. What you're doing is even, I would say, even more important because it's affecting the non-church goers. A lot of the, let's, let's call spade a spade. There are Muslim kids right. that are getting indoctrinated with anti-Semitism that shouldn't be. They should be learning that they, – they should be rejecting the anti-Semitism that their parents or grandparents. They should be going home and saying, I have Jewish kids in my class. I play with them in mm-hmm. recess. What's the problem? Yeah. I don't understand no. why you say that the devil is a Jew. That's not true. Absolutely. I play with, play with Bobby. His parents are Jewish. They put up a menorah on Hanukkah. I don't see a problem. He shares his snack with me. That was the cultural melting pot that it used to be in America where there would be these prejudices when people, you know, the, new, the new group came, whether it was the Germans or the Irish or the Italians or the Jews. Or, you know, now, and you can fast forward all the way to the, you know, the Arabic Muslim population, Pakistanis, you know, the Near East, things like that. And over time, culture and the next generation would, tell, would sort of challenge their parents' narrative of who mm-hmm. was good and who was bad by saying, I go to public school with them. I play mm-hmm. with them in the park. What are you talking about? And then they would go right. and they would go to college with them and they would go to work with them. And within a generation or in a generation and a half, that bigotry would sort of melt away. What you're mm-hmm. seeing with anti-Semitism mm-hmm. is coming back again. This is the first right. time where a bigotry in America has come back. 
That's exactly right. It's because of what we're teaching to our children in our public school system. I had a parent in Florida who is an atheist, and he was outraged. He contacted us when he found similar propaganda in his children's textbooks. He was outraged by the content in his Pearson, his son's Pearson published textbook, because they were disinforming our children or his, the children in that school system about America's founding. He said, I may not believe in God, but I don't want the disinformation being taught to my son that this country was not founded on Judeo-Christian values. He said, because even as an atheist, it's the Judeo-Christian values that protects my right to believe what I believe. And so here was a father who is an atheist, and he's concerned about disinformation as it pertains to the Judeo-Christian foundation of our country and teaching an accurate perspective of so history. An intellectually, yes. honest, an intellectually honest atheist. Yes, absolutely. He may disagree with our beliefs are about God, but he is concerned about the future of the United States and how we are characterized in our textbooks, especially to our public school kids. This battle is for our generation. This has happened on our watch. And we as American citizens have a responsibility. Almighty God has, has tasked us. He put our souls and our physical bodies, brought us to the earth at this time with all of this going on. We know truth. And we have got to be willing to sacrifice some of our time, our resources, to get engaged in this battle because it has been called to this generation. Wow. So thank you so, so very much, Lori, for coming on. We greatly appreciate it. For those that want to go and see the great work she does, the website is pjtn.org. That would be Proclaiming Justice to the Nation. So it's P for Proclaiming J for Justice. T for two or the or both, and N for nations, uh, pjtn.org. Lori Cardoza-Moore, thank you so much for being on. We greatly appreciate it. Oh, no. Thank you both for what you're doing for helping to get the word out. And for your audience, if you find curriculum or if you go through your kids' textbooks and you find something questionable, we want to hear from you. We all have to get into this battle. God bless you for what you're doing. It's an honor to be with you today, and I look forward to be back on the program soon. All right. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. We greatly appreciate it. All right. That was, that was scary. That was a very, very scary notion from Lori that the education is completely taken over by one organization, Pearson, which gets money from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is a very far left educational fund, and that George Soros as well Again, we, whenever there is evil, there is George Soros. It's a very big problem. And with people like Lori and proclaiming justice to the nations, we have a fighting chance. You know, the Jewish community is not that large. We are a fraction. We're, we're about one point something percent of the country. We're, we're, not, we're not big. We pack a good punch in society, but when push comes to shove and these education books need to be made, we're not considered a large market, but through organizations like Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, when the evangelical community gets involved, the, the Christian Zionist community gets involved, the numbers start to make a difference, and they are a vocal, a very loud and vocal community that, thank God, 
is there to fight the good fight against anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, anti-Israel, and it's not the type that the left tries to talk about, which is, well, if we're friends with Israel, we're able to tell them when they're wrong. There's a very big difference in saying that a policy of the state of Israel is wrong. That is fine. Many right-wing Jews always, and I'm one of them, and so is Chesky, that the two-state solution, I mean, we have an organization that promotes a one-state solution. It's actually one of the things that we do at Chobavei Zion, Chobavei Zion, Lovers of Zion, is we promote an idea of a one-state solution, of sovereignty. The sovereignty movement, we are the largest Jewish organization that promotes sovereignty. And, and we do it in Congress. We do it in Israel. We do it with partner organizations. We promote an idea that Israel is a sovereign nation in all of its territories. That's fine. But when you, you know, like Lori said, when you give a narrative, a story in a book, and the book sort of in a, in a backhanded way, you know, obviously these Palestinians live in an area where they're coming against, you know, the IDF, Israeli soldiers. Well, when you make a narrative of a story where the child answers the question incorrectly and gets shot, well, then the question of the story is, because want, you want to see if someone has reading comprehension, who was the child shot by, and the answer is an Israeli soldier. Well, that child now grows up thinking that Israeli soldiers just randomly shoot Palestinian children. It's never happened. It's, it's nonsense. Now, have they shot children at checkpoints? Yes. Those children either had bombs strapped to them, and it was clearly going to go off, they were holding knives or guns and attacking, like what happened recently in the old city of Jerusalem, where two t young teenagers came into the one of the doors of the old city, where there was a checkpoint, and, and it wasn't actually a checkpoint; it's a security point. So that way, if you're going into the, if you want to go in towards the hotel, towards the Wailing Wall, the, the Western Wall, you have to go through metal detectors, and they came in charging with knives. They attacked one of them. They stabbed one of the soldiers, and the other soldiers and police opened fire. Now, you could tell that same story where two Jerusalem children were walking through the old city of Jerusalem and were shot. Who were they shot by? Well, you're sort of leaving out the main part of the story, where they were stabbing the Israeli soldiers. So we thank Lori for coming on. We greatly appreciate it. And as the Talmud says, if you need to know how to turn, always turn to the right. This is the Ma Show. See you next Tuesday, 9 p.m. You've been listening to the Ma Show. Broadcasted from the Socialist Republic of New York. But please, don't tell our governor he asked us to leave. They have no place in the state of New York. Tune in again next week, Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Or go to J Tribe Radio to listen to the podcast anytime on Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. 